0: Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. All right, Matthew 8, 18. Does anyone want to read? I'm just kidding. All right, so the cost of following Jesus. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him, and might say scribe in your Bible, and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another, another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. And if you would, you don't, you don't have to, but I'm going to turn to Luke, because Luke has this same encounter, but he has one more instance in here because he's a little bit more detail oriented in uh, Luke uh, chapter 9 verse 59 and, and there's one more interaction he said to another man follow me oh this is the same thing but you will get. he said to another man follow me but he replied first let me go and bury my father and Jesus said to him let the dead bury their own dead but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God still another said I will follow you Lord but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family and Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So that's the standard, y'all. In, in this interaction, it might seem like Jesus is a little harsh, um, but we're going to look at him and see what is actually going on here. Uh, we know from chapter 7 that Jesus has been very busy all day healing the sick and casting out demons as well as preaching. They're getting ready to go to the other side of the lake um, when Jesus is approached by men who want to follow him. And the first potential follower says, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. I just love that that's how it starts. And then he's so quickly uh, dissuaded from it. He says, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. And before we look too far in this interaction, let's talk about this um, term son of man, because we hear it a lot. Jesus uses it for himself um, more than any other. He he says it 83 times in the Gospels, and it's always used by Jesus. Uh, So what does it mean, and where does this term come from? And it's easy for us to look at it and say, okay, he's just saying Son of man, he's human. Um, And he kind of is, but there's more to it. I wouldn't have bothered bringing it up. So if we look back at the book of Daniel, we can see this term pop up in his account of a vision. In Daniel 7, 13, and 14, Daniel says, So the book of Daniel is written in Aramaic, but this word, son of man, uh, is actually, it it translates to English perfectly, son of man. But this would have been understood by the Hebrews when they said son of man. What it meant was human being, son of man, human being. So in the text of Daniel, it would read, there before me was one like a human being. Not a human being, but was like a human being in appearance, but was obviously not so. And this was understood to be a vision of the coming Messiah. I mean, we can tell when we read the description of the son of man, one like a human being, we can tell this is a prophecy about the coming Messiah. So when Jesus uses this term, this phrase, son of man, he is referencing Daniel and he is indeed saying, I am the Messiah. A lot of times when we see son of God, we think that's when he's referencing his godliness. And when he says son of man, he's talking about his humanity. But some people actually believe because they would say son of God when they were talking about a king. And so some people believe that when there's, he's saying son of God, he's actually referring to his humanity and his royalty being the son of the king. And when he's saying son of man, he's talking about he, that he is the Messiah. Either way, um, he is he's God and man. But just a little interesting tidbit, that's why he continues to call himself son of man. He is saying, I am the Messiah every time. He's referencing Daniel. He's referencing the Old Testament. He's pointing out to the Jews, I am the one Daniel was talking about. Okay, so now that we have that, uh, let's look at this interaction. So the first man says, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And we're told this man is a scribe or he's a teacher of the law. So he would have generally taught at the synagogues, not at the temple. He was not, of the, he was not a priest. He was not of the priestly tribes, which if he was a priest or he was of the priestly tribes, that would have made him a Sadducee. But since he's a teacher of the law at the synagogues, that makes him Pharisee. Okay, if y'all have never heard that word, it's a bad word in the Bible, okay? Um, or he would have been around a lot of Pharisees. He would have been like from that train of thought. Um, and so when he says teacher, it um, may see in your Bibles rabbi, because that's what he actually said. He says rabbi, which in the Bible, it means master, means great one. It's a term of great respect. And he's acknowledging Jesus' authority in his understanding of the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. And when the scribe says that he will follow Jesus, he is saying he's willing to come under his authority as his student. And this is fairly common at the time. A great teacher or rabbi would gather like students to himself or he would gather disciples to himself and they would follow him kind of, was like, kind of like an internship. Okay. And we have to commend this scribe because he's definitely breaking from the other Pharisees in publicly asking Jesus, can you teach me? Can I be your disciple?" So let's commend him for that. But Jesus responds, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. And, and the guy's like, oh man, I have nowhere to sleep. And then I'm out, right? Because as I just pointed out a few minutes ago, sleep is important. Um, but Jesus isn't telling him, hey man, I don't have a house. He has a place to lay his head if he wants to, right? His mother Mary is still alive. She still uh, probably lives in the house um, that Joseph that she lived in with Joseph. So if he wants to, he can go home and sleep at his mom's house, right? Just like all of us can, right? Um, So he does have a place to lay his head if he wants, but as the son of man, as the son of God, he has no home because his home is not here. And he's here on earth to do what his father sent him to do. And he's about his father's business. He says, you can follow me, but I'm going to be about my father's business all the time. And if you're, if you're not down with that, if you don't want to be all about the father's business, then following me is not the place you want to be. I also think he's telling the scribes something else about not having a house. Because when scribes would attach themselves to a rabbi or a well-respected teacher, it came with great respect, right? If you, if you took on an internship with a great rabbi, it would look great on your resume, Okay. As a teacher, because those guys are going to die at some point, right? And like, who's going to take up that mantle, right? Where are all his followers going to go? Well, folks, I came up under him, right? And so there was great prestige in getting, being a um, a follower of a certain scribe or rabbi. Um, It could be a great career move for the scribe. But Jesus tells him, yes, traditionally that's so, but following the son of man is completely different. Following the Son of Man doesn't necessarily mean great respect among the people. It doesn't mean financial prosperity. It might just mean you have nothing but following me. And that might be all there is. He says, you want to follow me? That might be all there is to it. Nothing else may come from it except you're following me. And this man who says, I will follow you wherever you go, changes his mind. He says, oh, it just means following you? It doesn't mean anything else? And that is enough to discourage the scribe from following Jesus. The next man, who says, is a disciple already, says, Lord, let me go and bury my father. To which Jesus replies, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. In Luke's version of events, Jesus f- first says, "Follow me." In Matthew's version, the guy says, "I'll follow you." And in uh, Luke's version, uh, Jesus says, "Follow me," which may seem like a discrepancy. But I don't know um, how many of you like have when God finally, when when I went to church and finally accepted Jesus my Lord and Savior, He had been calling me for some time. I just finally answered. He'd been calling me. He'd been working on my heart. And I know it's the same for you. It's gotta be the same for you. When you finally, you didn't like, man, I just, I just decided. You're like, no, G- Jesus was like to the point where you're like, okay, all right, fine. All right, fine. And he had been calling you. So there's no discrepancy here. God whispers to our hearts and he speaks through signs and situations and puts us in the place where he's calling us. And Jesus' responds here, and he says, I'm gonna follow you, but first let me go bury my dad. And Jesus is like, no, I'll let the dead bury their dead. And you're like, wow, man, Jesus was cold. Jesus was so cold. And that's the answer Jesus was cold. So moving on. Um, no, but let's look at this. So to the Jews, it's considered a sacred duty to bury your parents. If you remember, we saw, uh, I don't know if actually we went into that, but we, Joseph asked Pharaoh permission when his father dies to leave Egypt and go back and bury his father in his homeland, in the promised land. And Pharaoh says, yeah, go, because he understands this is, this is a big deal to go bury uh, your father, to go bury uh, your parents. So is Jesus like more heartless than Pharaoh, right? Pharaoh let Joseph go bury his dad. Um, but it, no, he's not. So in that time they couldn't preserve the dead for to have the burial weeks later when everyone could make it, okay? Like, it had to be um, buried immediately, it. They're no longer human. They're not, they would have to be buried immediately. And it was mandatory in Jewish tradition that the dead were buried within 24 hours, and then you had to go into seven days of mourning, okay? So this guy isn't just out... Um, listening to a speaker while his dad is dead at home. He wouldn't be out listening to Jesus. He would have had to immediately, they would have had to prepare the body, bury him, and then he would be in mourning. You wouldn't see this man for a week after his father died. He would not be in this crowd. And if he was, this, these are small towns. Everyone would have been like, what's he doing there? His dad just died. Why is he here? He's breaking the law being here. Okay? It was a very serious matter. And there's a story related uh, by a Syrian Syrian missionary which helps to further explain what is meant here when he says, first, let me go bury my father. Because we can kind of establish his father's not currently dead. Maybe he plans on going home and murdering his father. Um, No, but so a Syrian missionary uh, was friends with a Turk and he was advising a young man uh, to tour Europe when he finished school to more complete his education to which the young man replied, I must first bury my father. And when the missionary gave his condolences that the man's father had died, the young Turk explained that his father was still alive, but that he had to fulfill all his duties to his parents as a son and could not leave home until after his father's death. Okay, the father is the patriarch. And this man, even this is much later where he's like, no, I, I can only, I'm only free to go do my own thing after my father's dead and I've buried my father. I must fulfill my obligations as a son to my parents. He's under the authority of his father and doesn't have the freedom to go follow Jesus until his duty to his father is over. That's what he's saying. I have to to do what my family wants me to do first. Maybe this man wanted to make sure that he was around to claim his inheritance, right? Because the other guy was like, I'll follow you. And he's like, hey, you you might not have anything but following me. Maybe this guy heard that and said, ooh, well, maybe I want to stick around and get my inheritance from my father. Because if he, if he bails, he might be written out of the will. He might not get his inheritance. So he could have been like, well, okay, ooh. Well, first of all, I do want to follow you, but I just learned that I might need some stability. I might need something coming from somewhere else, right? I need a side hustle, if you will, Jesus. And so maybe I want to just stay at home until I get my inheritance, Right? Maybe he didn't maybe he didn't. Maybe he didn't want to face his father's wrath if he left the family business. Either way, he's telling Jesus, I will follow you later. When I'm older, when my young life is over. I'm gonna plan on that later. Right? This age, when I get to this age, then I will follow you. Okay? And this is what Jesus is talking about. This comes up a lot when he says um, in Matthew 10, 37, whoever loves his father or mother more than he loves me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than he loves me is not worthy of me. Because moments like this come in life where we may have to decide between family and Jesus or friends and Jesus. And, that, and I'm not saying we're to like cut off Relationships. Uh, like in, in every instance in my life where I've lost friends due to following Jesus, it's because they've cut off their relationship with me because I stopped being fun. And I still think I'm a lot of fun. My kids don't, they say that I'm crabby, but inside I'm very fun, okay? But sometimes the relationship slowly dwindles because you don't do the same things anymore, right? And, and you, you're kind of like, oh, I didn't understand that this is what it was going to mean. When I got saved, man, I thought all my friends were gonna come with me. And, and, and they did for a time, but then they slowly trickled back to the other friends. And then it was like, man, it's time to decide. Am I going to follow Jesus? Am I going to go where he calls or when I might lose all these people? And so many times I've seen it over and over again where people like that, wow, the cost is too much. That's where that verse comes in. Jesus says, he says, you're not worthy of me because you love them more than you love me. Jesus is very serious about following him. And so sometimes when we're in that instance we say, "All right, I'll follow you later when the cost isn't so much." I don't know how many times like I went to a conference or something and like got resaved and like my friends did too and we went and went and then we drifted back and then we went back to a thing and we went and went and then we drifted back till it became fairly obvious, that this was going to be a short-lived thing time and time again. And I slowly began to realize, and it was heartbreaking. It wasn't easy. It was heartbreaking. If I'm going to do this, I might just have to do it by myself. It might not be coming with me. The safety net I want isn't going to be there. But what's my safety net? Is it my friends? Or is it Jesus? And you know who's been there for me throughout my whole life? Jesus. Even when I chose them time and time again, he was still there for me. But when I chose him, they weren't. Who loves me? Jesus, the cost is never going to be cheap. So when Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead, he's saying, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. He's saying, you can be alive in me, yet you want to return to your old life that you lived when you were dead and care for the old things that you cared for when you were spiritually dead, but that life is dead and gone now. You can come with me to life, or you can go back to being dead. I have called you to proclaim the kingdom of God. And that is too much for that young man. And he's already, it already said he's a disciple, so he's already been following a bit. But then he's like, oh man, I, you know, I, I was getting into it, but now I didn't understand the cost. And then the final man says, I will follow you, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And honestly, this seems more heartless than the last one. He's just like, can I just go say goodbye? And Jesus is like, no. Can't go say goodbye, you nanny. Right? You gonna say goodbye to your mom. Go say goodbye to your mom. Can we come? No, he, he's not like that. I'm just... Um, the disciples might have thought that because um, they're human. Um, but but in fact, uh, there's a, this. we've seen this situation play out before where someone asks to go say goodbye to their family. Um, in fact, there's a famous prom- prophet in the Old Testament um, named Elisha. And Elijah comes and says, hey, he's like plowing the field. Elisha's plowing the field. And Elijah says, come and follow me. And he's plowing a field with oxen. And, um, and it's in 1 Kings 19, 19. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. So if Elisha was permitted by an Old Testament prophet, by a man of God, why was this man not permitted to go home and kiss his family goodbye? But this man in the original Greek, he asked to take his leave of his family. He says, can I go take leave of my family. And we see this process in the Old Testament when someone would go off to follow someone or when a bride was married, they would take their leave of their family. And so there was just like this week-long party to send them off, okay? so um, th- And so what he's doing here, when he, when he says, let me take my leave of my family, he's not like Elisha saying, let me, let me go say goodbye to them. He's saying, let me go take my leave so that I can have like this week-long party so, so I can celebrate with my family. So just give me one more week. Just give me one more week of my own time. I'll follow you. Just, I just need to get some things out of my system. Just give me one more week. And then, and then, I'm all yours. In one week's time, you can have all of me. But if he's not ready to give, everything right now, what's a week going to do? In fact, he may find in that week that he truly loves all these things. He may find that he truly loves all these things that he's going to have to give up. And say, like, man, I don't know if I, can, if I can give all these things up. I don't know if I can give this all to you, Jesus. And I believe this man wants to follow, right? But G- saw Jesus' reaction to the man who asked to, all right, let me bury my father. He's asking for a lot of time. And this guy's like, okay, well, Jesus didn't respond very favorably to that guy. What if I can just have, it sounds like a negotiation. What if I can I'll just give me one week? I'm way more faithful than that dude who wanted to bury his dad. But just give me one week. That's all I'm asking for. I am like so much holier than that guy. One week. He's like negotiating with Jesus. But his heart's the same. His heart is the same as the man before. He's not quite ready to give up everything. And in each of these cases, Jesus didn't like react to their emotional, like, oh, I want to follow you. He's like, oh, come on, let's say the sinner's prayer. Let's do it right now while you're, while, you're, while you're hot. Let me tell you about hell. You're going to burn forever. All right, let's pray. Let's pray. Let's get you. Let's get you down, All right? Let me get you a visitor card, okay? And I'm going to get you, you know, He said, no, examine the cost, count the cost. This is for real. Count the cost. And if you haven't counted the cost, let me tell you what the cost is. We have to set aside our conditions for following him. Do we have conditions for following him? And you might think this is like a salvation sermon. I'm talking, and you're like, oh, he's not even talking to me because I'm saved. I said the prayer when I was three years old, and I was like splashed with water. This isn't a salvation message because I think as Christians, no matter how many times we may say in our lives, I'm giving you everything, sometimes we have conditions. And they're not spoken aloud but in our hearts, we've set these conditions. I will follow you to this point. And sometimes it's like we think, oh, man, I'm going to follow Jesus. And I want this career path. And those things are going to align. So I'm following Jesus my whole life. And so we're really faithful. And then we get to that point where those start, start to diverge. And we're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Lord, we, we talked about this. We talked about this. We were going here. Now, I don't know. I thought you were going to give me my heart's desire. I thought these things were going to happen quickly. Right? Even, even when my friends and, and I kind of um, took different paths, I still, for a very long time, was like, Lord, but they're going to they're hop over. I'm, I'm hanging on to that hope. They're going to hop over. That's 20 years ago. And I, and I believe they're still going to hop over, because uh, that's what's called when you get saved hopping over. Um, <laughs> But we're not in that place anymore where it will matter to me, but it won't be the same thing. Do we have a point where we will stop following Jesus? Do we have expectations for Jesus that if he doesn't meet, we might just have to make our own plans? Did we start saying, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go, but you can't have this. I'm not going to change this, okay? Uh, you can't have these relationships, okay? Lord, I am totally in love with this person, okay? We met a week ago, and they had a cross around their neck, and I just know that they're saved, okay? And so don't, they're, they're my girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever. We have these conditions, we have other loyalties. And to Jesus, even family loyalty didn't take priority over the demands of obedience, because sometimes we have other loyalties that compete for our attention. But obedience to God must come first. Each of these men had excuses for not following Jesus with their whole mind, body, soul and strength, with everything. And when we decide to follow Jesus, it has to be everything. And often we have to we have to not like recommit, but we have to continue to cast things, cast things at the altar. I've been walking with Jesus a long time, and he still says, give me this. I'm like, Lord, I gave you everything. Give me this. Give me this. Things come along. You might, you might give everything to Jesus, and then things come along that you really, really care about. You really care about. And God says, give me that. You have kids, and you love your kids. And so it's like, it's very difficult to understand this when God says, you have to love me more than your son or daughter. What it's like because you have kids and you love them. You love them unconditionally. You want the best things to happen to them. And then when things don't happen, what happens? You get mad at God. God, what are you doing? This is my kid. I love them. You love them. You love them more than I do, right? Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And God says, you've got to give them to me. That's my son. That's my daughter. Are you going to trust me when they're, with their lives? When bad things happen, are you going to trust that I'm in control? Are you going to trust that I am building relationship with them, that I am teaching them faith? Are you going to trust me? Or are you going to walk away because I'm not doing what you want to happen in your kids' lives? They're my kids. Sometimes, man, I'm praying and God just says, I'm praying over a kid and God says, that's my daughter. That's my son. And the first time I was like, what does that mean? What are you going to do to him? (laughs) What, are you warning me? Is that a warning? (laughs) I don't know if I like that. But I have to remind, I have to remind myself as God reminds me Things happened in my life that were bad. My life didn't go the way I thought. But God walked me where I needed to be. God saw me through. And that, that, even in that, that is continually where we have to give things over to God. Okay, okay. Okay, I thought I gave everything, but something else came up I care about, and I got to give that over to you. Okay, I give you my son. I give you my daughter. I have to trust you. When things look bad, I have to trust you. Okay, all right. I can't always fix everything. I have to let you work. I have to let you move. It is continuous. The Christian walk is continually giving over things to him. Continually. And these guys turn around and walk off. But do you know what it means when you give it to God? It's in better hands. It's in better care. They missed out because they were unwilling to say, okay, here, you can have it. And they didn't get to see what he did with what they gave. They missed out on the blessing of God. They missed out on seeing what God, God says, you're gonna have to, you might have to walk away from your family. And he's like, well, I I can't walk away from my family. Not knowing that Jesus is like, yeah, but if you walk away, I'm gonna get them to follow you. But if you go back, I go this way, you're just there with them. Do we truly, sincerely trust God with everything? Do we hand over everything, even the things we love, the things we come to love? Think about all those moments in our life. This is an important moment in these guys' lives. Think of all those times you've been like, oh man, you have those impulse. You're like, we're going to go on this trip. We're going to do this thing. I'm going to say this thing, right? This moment of like great inspiration. And then the more you have time to think about it, the more you're like, well, you know, I don't want to, might not be a good call. Might not be the right time. How many things have you missed out on because you had to stop and think and, and wait, right? And that's what I'm preaching about. Rash actions. We need to make rash actions, rash trips, put it on the credit card, capital one, get some travel points, travel rewards. No, I'm just kidding. But in, 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 this, in the sense of following Jesus, we do the same thing. We go, oh man, oh man, God is doing something. I saw it. He touched me. He did something miraculous. He's speaking to me. Let me go think. Let me have a week. Let me have a few years. Let me just think about it. Let me write down the pros and cons of following Jesus and what I might have to give up. Maybe later when it costs less. But the cost is never going to be less than everything. But God, when God is calling us, even after we're saved, God is continually calling us onward, continually calling us closer. And every time we may have to give something up to get closer. May give up a personal preference, may have to give up our own plans, may have to give up our own desires. But God, every time he's calling us, he gives something up. It's because he has something better. It's because he has a higher calling that can produce seeds and harvest in everything we touch. And if we stay here saying, I can't give you these things, I can't hand over these people, I can't hand over these things into your care, then God's like, well, then I'm not going to move through you to touch those things. When you hand those things to me and put them in my care, I will deal with those things. And the reason we can't hand these things over is because we don't truly trust God with our own lives. We don't trust him with the people that we love. We don't trust him with the things that we love. We don't trust him with our plans. But let me tell you something. His plans are always better. His plans are always better. His plan for your child's life is better than your plan for your child's life. His plan for your life is better than your plan for your life. He continually takes what's broken and fixes it. And you might say, Lord, I can't let this go because they're broken and they need me. And Jesus says, no, they don't need you. They need me. And you are in my way. You're holding on too tight. You're holding them. You're keeping them safe. You know what you're keeping them safe from? My touch. They know your touch. They need to know my touch. They need to know my touch. When God asks us to give things up, when God asks us to go in 100%, it is always, 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 always for good. It's always for good. And I just want to encourage you, church, to trust him like that. Trust him like that. Let go. And look, I know it's hard. There are people that I love, and It's hard. To let go and let God. I just coined that phrase. It's mine. Trademark. <laughs> it's hard. And we say it all the time. And we have, we have cool little things like that. We say, hey, you know, you just got to let go and let, let God. But do we? Do we really? And has God not moved in those people's lives? Because we are holding on too tight. And we will not Let him do it. Now I understand God uses us. God does use us. But we all know, we all know, there are times we have held on too tightly. We have stood in the way of God moving. And really, it's not that person's issue because God can get to them. It's our issue in not trusting God that he is who he says he is, that he will do what he says, and that he is good. Lord, I just thank you that you are good. I thank you that you love me more than anyone else does. I thank you that you love my children more than I do. I thank you that you know our cares, and you care more than we do. I just want you to have that person in your mind that you thought of, that person that you just want so desperately to know God. They might cling a little too tightly. Lord, forgive us for not trusting you. Forgive us for doubting your love. Forgive us for doubting your faithfulness. Why would we think you would not be faithful to them? when you have been so, so faithful to us, Lord. I want my children, I want my family, I want my friends to know your faithfulness, not my faithfulness. I want them to know your love, not my love. And I just pray that you would help us to let go and let you move in their lives, Lord. And I just pray that we can give them to you, Lord. That we can love you more, that we can trust you, that we can let you work that we would let you do the miracles we've been asking and stop trying to do it ourselves. You are the God of the harvest, Lord, and we will trust you for the harvest. We are just the workers. And so we give our plans to you. We give our hopes to you. We give our dreams to you. We give the people that we love to you. We give our hearts desires to you, Lord. We give our hurts to you and our worries to you and our fears to you, Lord. And we just declare, we trust you, Lord, for you are faithful and you are good. You are who you say you are. And I just pray this week that we can walk in it that that seed would grow, that we could hand over everything in our lives to you and let you rule and reign over our lives as you've been calling us to do from the beginning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about The Well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.